Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. I'm back again. How's it going? You guys doing all right? You guys are a little quiet today. I'm a little surprised. I, I might have like the coffee jitters or something, but I'm, I'm a little, I feel like I'm way up here and you guys are right here. Can we meet in the middle? Is that okay? You want to bring it down a little bit? Thank you, Daniel. Let's go. Um, hey, so my name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. It's an honor, seriously, to have you guys gathering with us in person and online. Our mission here at City Church is to help people find their way to God from where they are. And we do that by practicing the way of Jesus together in Boulder. We do that through our large groups, these large gatherings, and then our small groups, our small gatherings, city groups. And so wherever you find yourself on your spiritual journey today, we just want you to know that you are loved, safe, and welcome. We're, we're grateful that you're here. We want to help you take some next steps in your spiritual journey. And so today we are uh, about to close out our series through the summer through the book of Philippians. This is a letter written to a new church first century in a city called Philippi, much like a letter would be written to City Church in Boulder, Colorado in 2023. And so we're walking through this letter from this guy named Paul. He's an apostle. He was against Jesus. He met Jesus. Jesus changed his life, and now he's for Jesus. He is uh, the author of a third of our New Testament scriptures that we have today, used in amazing ways by God. And we're, we've been diving into this letter through the summer. Um, there's extra scripture journals in the lobby for you if you'd like to pick one of those up. Next week we will wrap up this series in the very last part of this book and then we kick off a brand new fall series called teach us to pray walking through uh, um, what, how jesus taught us to pray in the lord's prayer um, and also modeled off the book um, praying like monks and living like fools and so really excited to hop into that over the fall but today as we get into the text philippians 4 there's a couple of things i want to do pre-work as we have this conversation. So very simply, Kristen already mentioned it, but where are you and anxiety today? Like, where are you with anxiety? In 2019, Barney, but Barney, (laughs) Barney might have done this, but Barna did a study. (laughs) They're bringing back Barney. Did you guys know that? They're like remaking Barney. It might be a good thing. It might be terrible. We'll find out. So I'm not sure if I'm, I'm willing to be a Barney home or not. I'm not sure about that. So anyway, let's come back. Let's come back to this space. 2019, Barna released a study where just evaluating the millennial and Gen Z generations, the predominant feature, the predominant shared experience of those two generations in 2019, so that's pre-pandemic, okay, so it only accelerated after that, the predominant reality of those two generations was the feeling of anxiety. We talk a lot about stress and anxiety here in the space of being formed in the ways of Jesus, of apprenticing under Jesus, but, but depending on where you find yourself, I'm curious, your relationship to anxiety. Like what kind of things cause you stress and anxiety? In fact, every time we gather in a city group, we start together, you share your name, what you're grateful for, starting in a posture of gratitude, but we always share, hey, what's stressing you out? What's causing you anxiety so that we know how to pray for one another? And so today in the room, what's causing you anxiety? There's different things that contribute to this, and depending on your personality and, and the different factors of your life, you have different relationships to anxiety in the room. For some of you, anxiety comes and goes. And maybe it's shallow and it's there and you try to ignore it and you move on and and, and maybe just distraction is what best serves you in that space. For some of you, anxiety is the dominant reality and emotion of your life. It's just like this low hum in the background that never goes away. And some of us are in the middle. Some of us swing to the heart end where anxiety becomes such a reality that begins to move into the arenas of depression. So what is it that causes you stress and anxiety? Think about your circumstances. So my, my job today, I'm just trying to be an encouragement. So we're going to bring up all the things that cause you anxiety. You're welcome. So what is it, right? Is it, is it a job? Is it a career? Is it finances? Is it a relationship? Or relationships plural? Is it a family member, a significant other, single, married, not having either of those things, kids, no kids? Is it a friendship? Is it your future? 
Everybody just say yes, right? It's like all of those things, right? What about experiences and events? I know like for some people, when we look at what's happening around the world, like I've, I've got family in Maui as the entire island burns. Do, do circumstances around the world cause you anxiety, social unrest, and the division of, of what feels like the entire United States? What are the things that cause you anxiety? What about people, right? The really specific thing, like that, that person that sends you a text, and the second that you see their name, you just like are full of anxiety, you haven't even read it yet. You get that email and their last name shows up and you're like, oh, and your heart rate increases and you're like, oh no, right? That person that causes you anxiety. If it's me, don't tell me. That's rude, okay? But if it's someone else, you should tell them. Um, right, that, that your stomach gets in knots when you, when you see that person, when you hear about that person, when that person even comes to your mind. What are the things that cause you stress and anxiety? And then what's your relationship to it? What do you do when it shows up? And how often is it there? And how do you respond? And what does it do to you? What I want to do, I, th- I think before we get into the text today, I-, I think I have to build an illustration in your mind in order for us to help appropriately relate to what we're talking about. And so I'm about to show you a video in just a second. And what I want you to do is I want you to look for yourself in this video clip. And I want you to, so this is kind of your, your response and your relationship to anxiety. You guys ready? All right, let's play the clip. Skipper, look. Analysis. It looks like a small incandescent bulb, designed to indicate something out of the ordinary, like a malfunction. I find it pretty and somewhat hypnotic. That too, sir. Right. Rico. Manual. Mm -hmm. Problemo solved. Sir, we may be out of fuel. What makes you think that? We've lost engine one. And engine two is no longer on fire. Buckle up, boys. Don't look dull. This might get hairy. Attention! This is your captain speaking. I've got good news and bad news. The good news is we'll be landing immediately. Bad news is we're crash landing. When it comes to air travel, we know you have no choice whatsoever. But thanks again for choosing Air Penguin. All right, all right. So, um, little kids, cartoons are my life right now, guys. Um, Actually, I just live vicariously through them, so it helps. So, I want you to think about your relationship to anxiety. The anxiety is that little flashing bulb in the moment. And if you're like me, I'm kind of like that penguin, right? I'm like, hmm, smash, like a problem solved. Let's just ignore that and move on with our lives. Others of you, you're the passengers in the plane. And so then when, when circumstances change and anxiety hits, you're freaking out and everything's falling apart and, and you're reacting to your surroundings. Like what's the role of anxiety in your life? Similar to that video, I want you to think about anxiety as, as the check engine light on your car. You guys ever seen that? Come on. Uh, how many of you currently have a check engine light on your car? Oh, I'm just curious. That's hilarious. Okay, cool. So what's really funny is, is our relationship to the check engine light, right? The check engine light is not the issue, right? We're like, oh man, I need to like, sharpie that little guy out. You know what I mean? Like The check engine light is simply a signal to tell you that there is something wrong, something is, is off under the surface. And I would invite you today to consider that anxiety is a signal. Anxiety is not the issue. Anxiety is pointing to an underlining issue, much like the check engine light in your car or the little incandescent bulb on the airplane. It's meant to signal you to something, that there is something going on either around you or under the surface that needs attention. And anxiety can actually be something helpful if you and I respond to it appropriately. I think one of the challenges is that you and I don't always have appropriate responses to anxiety. Would you agree? Maybe not for you, but you're like, okay, I can definitely think of people around me that don't respond to anxiety appropriately. Whether it's ignoring it, whether it's overreacting to it, whatever the space might be. Anxiety can serve as a signal. Specifically today, what we're going to find is anxiety can serve you and I as a signal. And the big word is can, meaning it doesn't default to this this place. But anxiety can serve as a signal reminding you and I to pray, to look under the surface, to look under the hood, to figure out what's going on and take that thing to God. So that's where we're going today. No matter what your relationship to anxiety is today, if you're the person that just smacks it with the manual and moves on with your life, and if that's how you also respond to other people's anxiety when they bring something to you, and then you just want to smack it with your manual for them, right? 
And that's why you have no friends, right? That, that's why you and I have no friends, actually, because that's what I do. I'm like, oh, yeah, my default is like, yeah, don't worry about that. Well how, well, how well has that worked for you? Like, okay, yeah, let's just not be anxious today. So verse 4 of Romans, uh, I'm sorry, verse 1 of Romans chapter 4. Oh, it is verse 4. Look at me. Um, as we get into this, he's going to pick up from last week, but let me kind of give you the context from our message last week. Now, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say Rejoice. Now, this moment here, Paul is coming out of a conversation ar- around uh, um, re- relationships and reconciliation. So, Fitz was speaking last week. You can always go back and check our messages on our, our YouTube channel and our podcast. And Fitz did a great job talking about the need for reconciliation, right? That, that I mean, all of us are imperfect and we constantly have moments to experience conflict, especially when anxiety is present in those spaces. And as a result, we need, as followers of Jesus, to embrace the calling of reconciliation. But the motivation, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He's pulling from context that you and I have to remember. That the motivation for reconciliation that he just got done talking about. He's like, hey, some of you have conflict and you need to deal with it. Some of you are upset under the surface and you haven't communicated it to someone else. Some of you have had hard rifts that you're not dealing with in the way that Jesus wants you to. The motivation for reconciliation will not be found in what others have done to you, right? You're never going to have a moment to look at, at some of the anxiety and some of the conflict in your life and rejoice in it, right? You're like, why would I do that? My circumstances suck. Like, there's nothing to rejoice in. Well, Paul's calling on a bigger space for followers of Jesus that give us a different life to live, a different kind of way to be human. And that is that you're not going to find the motive for reconciliation and loving others and what they have done to you because they never do it right. You're going to find it in what God has done for you. It's the way that God has acted toward you that informs how you and I can love and serve and respond to others. So really important. So why would I rejoice? Not because my circumstances are all together, not because I'm not experiencing conflict, not because anxiety is not present, but because of how God has acted toward me. And it gives me reason. So he's saying, hey, remember. Remember where you are. We just sang this amazing song to kick off the service, uh, the service and it's a reminder to remember the God that loves you, that proved that love by sending Jesus for you to live the perfect life that you could never live, to die the death that you deserve, to raise again like you cannot, and to offer us life freely, freedom freely in a new way to be in relationship with God and others. That's reason to rejoice in all that it carries with it. Now, now before we move on, this is important because the posture of this entire book has been one of a disposition of joy. I don't know if you've noticed it, but anxious people don't normally give off the vibe of joy. It's normally like super stressful to be around them, isn't it? And so it's interesting that you and I, I think, have a choice. We can't be anxious and joyful at the same time. And this is not like, you know, fake on the outside joy. This is an inner disposition of peace matched with humility in our relationship to our neighbor. Now, I have to make a note from last week, um, just a clarity on, on, on like, the, the space of reconciliation. Number one, we gave you these two resources. And I just want to give them to you again. If you want to grow in reconciliation, because we talked about it, the calling is reconciliation. Life is hard. Relationships are hard. It's one thing to acknowledge, okay, as a Jesus follower, I've got to deal with relationships like this. It's another thing to have the tools to do so. And so I would argue that if you don't have some tools and community around you to help you put into practice the things that you know to be true, you're just going to keep making a mess of things. And so number one is The Relational Soul. It's a phenomenal book that will help you process attachment theory, that will help you process your relationship to others and to God and to yourself and give you the tools to begin to experience and contribute to life-giving communities. So I highly recommend it, especially if you feel the tension of this space or you've got a lot of things in in your past or your present that have, have impacted how you relate to others and it's a really big struggle for you. I wanna encourage you in that. That book served me phenomenally. Number two is Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Uh, This book, similarly, while Relational Soul deals with the bigger context of relationships, this one's going to deal with what's going on underneath the surface of your life. And so this is a book, when you join the team here at City Church, when you go through Growth Track 1 and Growth Track 2, when you join the team, you become a part of the family here. We say this often, before we want anything from you, it's what we want for you. I did that backwards with my emotions, but you got it. Before we want anything from you, it's what we want for you. And we put this book in your hands, (laughs) and we say, please... (laughs) please work on being healthy. (laughs) Like you're a gift to this community and you're more of a gift 
when you start pressing into this book. I, I joke with people a lot, when I read this book for the first time, I went from emotionally unhealthy to simply aware that I was emotionally unhealthy, right? It didn't fix me. I didn't just become this amazing, emotionally healthy person. I was like, holy crap. Like, there's light bulbs on this dash that I didn't even know worked, and now they're on. <laughs> now they're flashing. I'm like, ah, oh, this is helpful. It's a really good tool. So again, listen, I, I just want to remind you that if you want to grow, if you want to be formed, if you're really becoming someone, then it's not going to be enough to sit in a weekend gathering. It's also not enough to even show up in community in like your city group and like deal with the surface level stuff. You've got to invite others and God into the spaces underneath the surface. So those are your two resources. Now, in light of that, that's the space of, of healthy community working through reconciliation. And just a pastoral note that I need to give you before we move on. Sometimes, um, and in fact, Fitz did a great job of addressing this. This letter was written in the middle of healthy community that was learning to flesh out conflict that simply shows up. It's a part of life together. What, what sometimes can get confused is people hear a, a message on reconciliation and then they might apply it to an unhealthy space. And so we just want to care for your souls well by saying, listen, if you find yourself in an abusive relationship or an unsafe, dangerous relationship, something like that, the message of reconciliation is not, Jesus is not calling you to stay in those places, okay? And it's really important that you understand the difference. Sometimes in the, in the spaces of victimization or, or the mental and emotional things that happen, we hear messages like reconciliation and we think it has to apply to everything. Fitz said it well. He said not every effort at reconciliation will end up in restored relationship. It's really messy. It's really complicated. Our very simple message for you is, hey, if you find yourself in a dangerous space of relationships, get out and let us know. Let us know how we can help. That's not the calling of reconciliation. This is about healthy community working through normal spaces of conflict. You guys with me? Okay, all right, let's move on. Verse five. Philippians four, going on. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He says it twice because apparently we don't get it. Let's work on our joy. Let's work on, on, on changing the disposition of our attitudes. It's so easy to complain, isn't it? Like, it's so easy to complain. You ever been around somebody who just like their default disposition is complaining? Like all that, everything about their life is a complaint? And you're like, man, you are like the most fun person I have ever been around. It's so easy to complain. And so he's calling us to reorient the space of our heart and mind to say, you might have reasons to complain, but that doesn't have to be your default disposition. If you'll focus on the things, if you remember where you're coming from, you can actually change that script in your mind. Let your reasonable, reasonableness be known to everyone. This, this can be translated gentleness. This is like, in your relation to others, this is a total emptying of self for the sake of others. So what is complaining? Complaining is like, it's all about me, and I'm letting you know, I'm kind of catching you up on all the struggles that I have. And we, so we just kind of just run our mouth, and we complain, complain, complain. But gentleness or reasonableness being known to others, that's actually me pouring myself out for others, meaning I'm not talking about myself. I'm not self-centered. I'm others-centered. And it's, it's actually a really cool space that this is a reminder because God is with you. He says the Lord is at hand, or that means like the Lord is near. He's close. Jesus said, I'll be with you. And so in that space, because you have this relationship with God, you're safe in relationship with others. And so then you can love them appropriately as a result. You can be gentle. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness, that's a better translation, be known to others. You can be gentle because you're safe. Your relationship with God influences how you treat other people. Now, Here's where it goes, verse six. Do not be anxious about anything. There you go. We're gonna pray, let's go home. I give you everything you need to deal with anxiety. You're welcome. Right, that'd be really awesome, right? Like, oh man, that's all, that's all I had to do was just not be anxious? Let's turn that sucker off and go home. That is not enough. <laughs> like, thank you so much for the advice, Paul. Let's just do that and life will be better. How many of you know that's not how life works? He's going to give us the how in just a second, but before we get there, I need to kind of set up uh, uh, his response. Well, what would it look like to live this way? Just imagine. Do not be anxious about anything. Anything. Big stuff, small stuff, crazy stuff, out of control stuff. Do not be anxious about anything. Like, like what, what could you do if you were never anxious? I mean, what would it, what would it look like? How would it change your week? 
How would it change how you parent? How would it change how you respond at work? How how would it change what your mind is doing at night before you go to bed? How would it change as you're scrolling on your phone? Like, like what, what things would be affected if you just were not anxious? What would it change for you? Who, who could you serve? Imagine what it, what it would do for you. Like, like, what would it free you up to do if you didn't have anxiety? How would it change how you relate to people? The things that you say, the things that you do, the things that you don't do, the limits that you, you actually put up and the boundaries, the healthy boundaries that all of a sudden you have. If anxiety wasn't there, what would change? I don't know about you, but as soon as I start to imagine that space, I get to be, I'm like pretty interested in that. I'm like, hmm, that sounds pretty amazing not to be anxious about anything. So here's what I want to give you. It's two stories. Uh, there's often, like, one of the dominant metaphors that we talk about as far as causes of anxiety are storms in life, right? That's kind of a common metaphor that people use, even, like, outside of the church, right? We just, like, if you're going through a hard time, people call it a storm, right? And so we see Jesus and his apprentices, his disciples, in two different places of going through a literal storm. And I want to give you that because I think that's going to be on Paul's mind as he writes what's next. So let me show you Matthew chapter 8. And you don't have to go there. If you want to write these stories down, I'm not going to give you the whole thing. These are two different stories where Jesus and the disciples are in a boat. They're going across the Sea of Galilee. They run into a really, really big storm, and they're freaking out. Okay, so, so I don't know if you've ever been on a boat in a storm. It's, a, it's a pretty scary. These are like crazy huge waves, small boat. And so we have two responses from Jesus. And all I want to show you very simply is, is how Jesus responds in the middle of these storms with the, the disciples. So Matthew 8, Jesus says to them in the middle. So he's actually asleep on a boat, by the way. In this moment, the first story, Jesus is in the boat. The second one, he's walking on water past them. And they think he's a ghost and freak out. So number one, he's in the boat asleep on a cushion. So you want to apprentice under Jesus, take notes, take a nap, right? That's, that's for you today. Jesus is asleep on a boat in the middle of a storm. You're welcome. Jesus, help me be more like you, right? That's what we're after. So number one, Jesus is asleep. They're freaking out in the middle of the storm. One translation even says that they wake him up and say, Jesus, do you not even care that we're about to die And I love the honesty that we see from the disciples. So listen, I don't know your relationship to God. I don't know how, like, you've learned the way to pray. But the honesty that we see in talking to Jesus, do you even care about what's going on right now, whatever storm in life that you have? And look at Jesus' response. He said to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. It's actually one word in the Greek. You little faiths. It's like a one one compound word. Then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. In the next uh, uh, passage in Matthew, in Matthew 14, we see a very similar story. The disciples are anxious in both of them. There's a storm in both of them. Jesus was in the boat the first time. Now he's, he was praying all night. He's walking across the lake, and they see him, and they freak out, and they're scared, and then he responds differently. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, and he said, take heart, it is I. And this is a really big moment. This is a big, in, in, the, in the Greek, what we see is Jesus using this word, I am. This, this declaration of, of, of the presence and power of God. I am that I am. I'm right here. Do not be afraid. I, want, I just wanted you to notice very simply with me a couple of things. The presence of Jesus in the first storm, he, he calms the storm immediately. And the second storm, he actually stands with them in the storm. He doesn't calm it immediately, which is interesting to me. But then I want you to see how Jesus responds in the middle of the storm for the disciples. Number one, why are you afraid? It's a question. And, and I, don't, I don't know how you read that. For a long time, I read that as like, why, why are you afraid? Kind of like, 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 like just a response and a rebuke of like, well, come on, guys. But what if it's a response of, of, of compassion? Why are you afraid? What if it's an invitation to examination? What's causing this fear? What's causing this anxiety? Why are you afraid? And the second thing, notice that he responds not with a question but a command. Do not be afraid. Isn't that interesting? I think what we see from Matthew, if you kind of track it, you read through Matthew on your own, what you're going to see is the expectation from Jesus of time with Jesus forming them to become the kind of people that respond differently under pressure, differently under anxiety. The first time they're in the middle of a storm, Jesus has compassion. He says, why are you afraid? And the second time, 
He calls them to who they are already becoming. Hey, you've been with me for a while. You know who I am. You know what I'm able to do. We've already been in a storm together, so do not be afraid. This is who you're becoming, so live like it. So there's a progression. So when we look at Paul's command, don't be anxious about anything. You're like, how do, how do we, how do you get there? You just turn it off one day, smash the light bulb, and move on? Like, that doesn't work. So how do you become the kind of person that can look at a, uh, this passage, don't be anxious about anything, and I'm actually that kind of person? I think it's an invitation into formation. You don't become that person overnight. You become that person over time in relationship to Jesus. So I don't, let, let me just show you what's happening. Why are you afraid? This is an invitation to look at the check engine light in your life. Listen, what's causing you anxiety? What, what are the things? Is it one big thing? Is it a bunch of little things? Is it so many things that you can't even pin them down? Like you don't, I, like, I'm just anxious. I don't even know why. I'm so overwhelmed by so many things that I'm just anxious and I couldn't tell you why. Or this thing is just killing me. I am so stressed out and scared about this thing. The check engine light in your life, it's a signal that something's going on. Jesus is inviting you. Why are you afraid? What's going on underneath the surface? You see, one of the tricky things about anxiety, it's really hard to deal with if you can't identify the source. To know when and why you're experiencing anxiety is a key part in dealing with it. The check engine light is an indicator. It doesn't do you any good, right? The little light bulb doesn't tell you what's wrong. So you need a code reader. You plug it in. And then it gives you a code from the manufacturer to say, this is what's going on under the surface. In the same way, you need to plug into the one who made you and say, what's going on here? You look at the light in your life and you say, what do I do with this? Here, here, listen, I'm, I'm an emotional idiot on a good day, okay, guys? Like, I'm so unintuned with my emotions that over the last five years, Jesus has been reshaping me in a way that I, I didn't even know I needed and so I, I speak from, from one side of this, and I don't know where you are, but emotions, they have to be acknowledged before they're moved through. You can't deal with something that you're unaware of. Denying emotions, which is kind of my default, anytime something hard comes up or whatever, I'm just like, let's smash that light bulb and move on. Ignore it, distract it, get busy, work hard, whatever, push it under the surface, but I'm not dealing with it. Let's just leave the check engine light and my car on and we'll see what happens. If it blows up in, in 10,000 miles, then oopsie doopsie. Like, I, I, like, that's just what happens. And so many people live their lives just like they treat their cars. <laughs> They're like, oh, look at that pretty light. What do I do with that? You, there's, there's a command in 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares on God. Cast, like, throw them off of you. Cast your cares and your anxieties and your stress and the weight of your life on God. Why? Because he cares for you. Some of you don't believe that, which is why it's a struggle for you to pray and to be in this space, and I'm, and I'm sympathetic toward that, and I understand. But learning to trust the person of Jesus. Cast your cares on God because he cares for you. But friends, listen, you cannot cast the cares on God that you don't know are there. Pete Scizzaro from Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he says, if you want to tame your feelings, you have to name your feelings. You cannot deal with what's going on internally until you identify what it is. And I struggle with that immensely. Immensely. I've been allergic to feelings my entire life. So as, as we were hiking um, Grays and Tories yesterday, and got up at 3.30, hit the trailhead, trying to beat the storms, and immediately there was like intense like elevation at the beginning, and I've, I've done a couple 14ers, and this one started out really hard. I didn't have a lot of my stomach, I didn't take any medicine, and I, I don't think I was completely hydrated, and so, I mean, probably five, 10 minutes into this hike, really heavy elevation gain, heart rates through the roof, we're pushing, it's dark, can't see anything. And, and, I, and I get a headache. And I'm like, all right, whatever. I don't have any medicine on me, and we're just kind of rolling and rolling, and we keep hiking, keep hiking, what feels like forever. <laughs> and then two hours in, I still have a headache. And it's getting a little worse. And then about three hours in, I have a headache, and, and the headache's about the same, but now I'm starting to get dizzy. 
Um, and again, I've done a couple of 14ers before, so I was really, I'm like, what the heck is going on? And, and we have Fitz, who was speaking last week. He's there, and he's got his cool mountaineering, all this EMT stuff going on. And so he's like, he, he always does his check-in with the gray. He's like, how's everybody feeling? How's everybody doing? And I know, I know to be honest with Fitz, because I can trust him. Like, like he's, he's there to help. Like, I, I got a little bit of headache, and, uh, and I'm a little dizzy. And he said, well, hey, like, what's going on? on the inside. I'm like, here's where I'm at. He's like, okay, okay, listen, you need to pay attention. If your headache gets worse or you get dizzier, you need to turn around immediately and drop elevation. I'm like, I didn't get up at 3.30 in the morning to not climb four, two 14ers. Listen, I'm here to get number three and four and we're doing it. And I'm like, well, what happens? Like, like I'm kind of, you know, what are the consequences of, of pushing through a headache and some dizziness. And he's like, well, you know, like worst case scenario is, is you die. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, people go brain dead. Like this is one of the most common issues in elevation hiking. And I'm like, holy moly. This is a big, oh, and like, now I'm scared. I'm like, oh man, like how dizzy am I really? You know, and so all of a sudden I become very aware of what my body is telling me, right? And I'm the guy that, ignore, I'm like, man, push through, let's go, let's grind, let's get to the top. And all of a sudden I'm like, nope. Fitz says, listen to your body. So we're gonna learn like, I'm like, knock, knock, hello, body, what's going on? Tell me, speak to me now, right? And so then we keep trudging, and then it stayed the same, and never really got any worse, and so made it all the way to the top, and then went down on, on, the, on the, the ridge and came back up to the other one, and, and it kind of stayed stable, which is great. But the whole time, I'm like, man, if it gets bad, I gotta walk off this mountain, and that sucks, but it's better than dying. So I'm like, you know, give me my options. In the same way that you and I have to pay attention to our bodies in a real time like that, you've gotta pay attention to the anxiety going on under the surface. That check engine light is there for a reason, it's a gift, if you'll use it appropriately. You say, what, what, do, I, what do I do with it? Well, Jesus uniquely shows us that his presence is, is what's dealing with the storm, but, but it's kinda of unique because he deals with it differently in different places. My son, um, Grayson, he's our oldest, will go to the lake, and he loves to swim. Like, isn't afraid of the, you know, being deep or anything. He loves to swim. But the lake makes him nervous because it's dark water and he can't see underneath it. So loves swimming pools and all that stuff, but like the lake is just kind of, you know, alligator gar and great white lake sharks and all that stuff. You know what I mean? So you got that stuff. And so we'll jump off the dock into the water, jump off the boat into the water, be swimming around, and he'll do it. He, lo he loves, to, loves to swim and all of that. So jump off the boat, but it's really, it, it's cute right now. I'll jump in first normally, he wants me to catch him. And intentionally, I kind of move just far enough away that I can't really catch him, because I want him to, you know, be on his own. And so then he'll splash and immediately comes up, and he like panic mode swims to me, right? Get as close to, I mean, on top of me, like drowning me, you know what I mean? And he's so excited to be out of there, but he is on top of me, and the second he's there, he's like, oh yeah, let's hang out in the lake. And I'm like, you know, like, bro, get your own space, like there's plenty of lake here. And it's interesting, what, and, then, and then we'll play in the water, I'll push him away, and I'll swim away from him. And then, I mean, you, you can see it. Like, his disposition changes, fear in his eyes. He's going to swim as hard as he can to get to me. Like, it's not a game. There's a little bit of fear inside of him. And he couldn't explain it. He doesn't know what's going on under the surface. He's just a little bit. But you know what's interesting? Every time he gets close to me, that anxiety goes away. There's something about my presence for Grayson that allows him to be in the same circumstance and him, him relate to it differently. You guys tracking with me? I'm not God. So I'm pushing him away, <laughs> swimming away. God's not doing that to you. God, God's not playing hide and seek with you. Like, let's just see how long you can wait in the waters of anxiety and, and then I'll show up and make you feel better. There's something about the presence of Jesus that doesn't necessarily take away or change the circumstances, but it brings a peace that wasn't there before. Here's a helpful, maybe just capturing of this thought. Peace, in relation to what Jesus is doing here, peace in what Paul's talking about, is not the absence of anxiety, but confidence in the presence of Jesus in the middle of our circumstances. It's not the absence of anxiety. And, and I think you and I struggle with this because what we want, if we're honest, is we like the idea of Jesus because with Jesus comes peace. We really, we want Jesus for his peace. And, and that's okay. Like I'm okay that Grayson just wants me for the, for the security part, part of it. There's some genuine stuff in there too. I think for a lot of times, like we want Jesus, we, want to, like, we, we like the idea of Jesus because we want his peace to come over our circumstances. But I think more times than not, Jesus and his peace are coming after our hearts, not our circumstances. 
that we would, we would become the kind of people that don't have anxiety-free circumstances, but we have an anxiety-free heart and mind. And his presence can do that in our lives. Now, let's go on. How do we deal with this? In everything, don't be anxious. But in everything, with prayer and supplication or petition that's asking prayer, thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So, check engine light goes off, what do you do? The interior work, what's going on? Where's this coming from? What's causing this anxiety? And then he says, in everything, you take that thing with prayer. Prayer in this space is simply being with God. This, this is not like just asking prayer like maybe you and I default to, like prayer being work. Ronald Rollheiser said that prayer is relaxing in God. How many of you guys feel like prayer functions in that way? Relaxing in God. When's the last time you felt like prayer was just relaxing in the presence of God in your life? So what we see Jesus do, right? Right before the storm with the disciples, where is he? Up on a mountain, alone with God in the quiet where he was often with God in prayer, relaxing in the presence of God. And then supplication or petition, this is asking prayer, where we actually go and we begin to make requests of God because he cares. We let those requests be made known. And so this space, what's the response? We identify what's going on under the surface. We, we, we learn to lean into the presence of Jesus in our lives. We turn that into asking prayer. And it's interesting, he says, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, let, let our requests be made known to God. It's easy to complain, right? It takes work to cultivate gratitude. It takes work to look at life that way. We did a prayer practice this morning. Every week at 945, we gather as a church to pray, and you're, you're invited every week for that purpose. But as we gathered for prayer, the practice this morning is we took 15 minutes, 12, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. Hey, we're just going to give thanks to God over and over, like just thanksgiving. That's all what we're just gonna, God, thank you. God, thank you. God, thank you. God, thank you for blank, 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 blank. 20 people in the room. We're all praying in that space. God, thank you. First five minutes is pretty full. God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. The last five minutes, it gets quieter and quieter and quieter. Toward the last probably two minutes at least, no one's saying anything. Isn't it interesting that someone can ask you about your favorite TV show and you could talk about it for 30 minutes without thinking about it? But then you sit in a practice five minutes before you go to work and you just try to spill out thanksgiving and gratitude and within 60 seconds you're out of stuff to say? It takes practice. It's a cultivation. Because it's not, it's something about us that struggles to get into this space. So what is it doing? We're reorienting our hearts and minds. Thanksgiving takes the complexity of your situation, the complexity of whatever is causing you anxiety. It takes that space and it moves your focus onto the person of Jesus. Like Peter, it moves his eyes off of the wind and the waves and it moves it onto Jesus where you can ask for help. It's not that those things aren't real. It's not that the waves aren't real, it's real. It's not that, that your anxiety doesn't have a good reason for that purpose. The question is, what are you doing with it? Do you want to become the kind of person that it can be a non-anxious presence toward others and toward God and in the disposition of your own heart and mind? And the peace of God, that's what we're after, right? That's what you want. The peace of God. Jesus calming the storm which passes all, under, it doesn't make sense, right? It, does, it doesn't make sense as we experience it. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is speaking to like a stronghold, like a castle built around your heart and mind, guarding against the waves and the wind and the anxiety and the stress. The peace of God will actually guard your heart and your mind. Your, your heart in the scriptures is the center and the source of your whole inner life. So this is not like, you know, the silly country songs that are like, follow your heart. and We're talking about the center of your being, thinking, feeling, and volition. Who you are at your center. The peace of God is going to guard that. And your mind is speaking to your thought life, your mental maps, your framework, your worldview, the way that you relate and respond to reality, right? Kind of that knee-jerk space when anxiety shows up, how you respond, how you think about things, that's your mind, he says the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. 
This is the space. Well, what do we do? How do we get there? The prayer. Anxiety is a signal in your life reminding you to pray if you'll do it. And in that space, it begins to change everything. Let me show you this next slide. Verses eight and nine, here's how he ends. This is really interesting how he ends that thought here. I'll invite Daniel to come. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, how much of your anxiety is based on things that are untrue or half-imagined or your, your, your future telling before it's even happened or your, your assuming motives before you even know them? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, I feel like he's reaching here, right? Like in those moments when you're struggling to not complain, when you're struggling to rejoice, when you're struggling to have a different mental map of your circumstance, he's like, anything excellent? Like, did you wake up? Are you breathing today? Did you get some cold brew when you got here? Is the AC on? Freaking praise God. Like, that's amazing, right? If there's anything excellent, whatever you can possibly find to hold on to, if there's anything worthy of praise, a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, are you kidding? Of course there is. Think about these things. How interesting. Because anxiety causes our mind to be filled with everything but that, right? And we get stuck here. What you have learned and what you have received, as in there's an apprenticing of, under Jesus. You're not formed when you just come to a gathering. You're formed as you follow Jesus. We apprentice under Jesus. He's the center of my life. He's the Lord of my life. And I'm becoming more like him as I follow him in community. What you've learned, what you've received, what you've heard, and what you've seen. There's modeling that's taking place in community. Practice these things. Not believe better. Not stir your emotions up a little more so you can really feel like these things are true. Practice them. The only results you will ever see from the gym are when you actually go and you put in the reps and you do the work and you got the sweat equity to show for it. Jesus is not asking us to do the formation on our own. He's asking to partner with us in the middle of the storm. Practice these things. Don't miss this. And the God of peace will be with you. You and I, naturally, even if you're not really sure where you stand with Jesus today, you're like, man, I don't know about this Jesus and church thing. Like the peace of God sounds pretty sweet, right? Paul seems convinced that the peace of God will be found in relationship with the God of peace. It's not something you experience separate from relationship. Let me show you this. The invitation is not simply to experience the peace of God, which is what we want, but to know the God of peace. Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew 8, round one. Why, why are you afraid? They're just getting to know Jesus. Time with Jesus, day in, day out, evening, life together. You get to Matthew 14, don't be afraid. It's me. You know me. You know who I am. They thought he was a ghost on the water, but he says, it's me, and I'm here. It's relationship that begins to inform how we respond. I want you to think about your mind like, like this dirty shirt that you've got that you throw in the washer, okay? So you've been mowing all day, and if you're like mowing out here where all the prairie dogs live, it's also just a bunch of dirt and weeds and, you know, that fun stuff. So you're just covered in like nasty. You know what I'm talking about? You know the grind, right? Or like you hiked a 14er all day, and you shouldn't hug anybody, much less be in public. You got that kind of layer of grime on you. Okay, so you take that shirt, and it was white so you could see it all, and you throw it in the washer. You add the detergent. And if you're in my house, you add the smelly good beads to really make it kick. So even if it's not clean, it smells clean. You know what I'm saying? And then you run it on extra dirty, extra soiled, whatever your thing says. And as the washer does its thing, 
the water and the detergent, they slowly wash over that article of clothing. What are they doing? The water, it moves through the fibers of your t-shirt and it slowly brings the dirt out of that shirt. And it's slowly washing it away and pulling away the things that are not meant to be there. And what you're left with is something much cleaner than when you started. Your minds are very similar to that. Your hearts are very similar to that. And the invitation from Paul is to let the presence of Jesus, his words over your life, the truth that we find in scripture, the truth that we hear from others in community to wash over your hearts and minds. And what it's gonna do is it's gonna begin to slowly take those negative thoughts and those anxieties, those ways of reacting that you've learned since you were a little kid, those fears and those pain points, and it's going to slowly start to wash those things out, and then Jesus is going to replace them. You see, you and I don't just stop being anxious. Paul says, think about the things that are going to change the way that you act, because your thought life influences your heart and your hands. And so what do we do? We replace thoughts. The goal is not to turn off anxiety, but to turn it around to refocus our hearts and minds. And we do that in relationship with Jesus. If you're in a season of life where the default response of your heart and mind is my life has to go this way or I'm not okay. That's the American dream. If my life is not going this way, things are not okay. And anxiety spills in but you can become the kind of person where when circumstances change and things are out of your control and there's formation and there's struggle and there's fear and there's anxiety, you can become the kind of person in the middle of all that that says, I'm okay. I'm okay if I don't get my way. I'm okay if my relationships aren't going the way that I want them to. I'm I'm okay while I struggle through this habit or this addiction. Not not, not because I'm okay with the circumstance. Not because I'm okay with the conflict. I'm not okay with those things. I'm okay because Jesus is with me in the middle of it. So here's your next steps. Number one, what would it look like this week to let anxiety serve as a signal reminding us to pray? Just a couple of quick thoughts for you. Number one, to simply, to simply be with Jesus. Not, not in the abstract obligation, I gotta open my Bible and read some verses and hope that Jesus shows up. Like he, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's with you. He's in you. He's there, he's present to relax into the presence of God. Not just to be with Jesus, though. What does Paul say? Prayer and petition. To pause for interior examination. What if you just took a moment and, and, and every time anxiety showed up this week, what if you just paused in whatever way is helpful for you? You say, what's going on here? Why am I feeling that? Why am I responding that way? I've been using this thing called the prayer of examine. You can Google it on your own. It's very simple. When I spend time with God every morning, I open the scriptures, I open in prayer. But the first thing I do is I put the date on my journal and I, and, and I reflect in the last 24 hours, what brought me life? What brought me life? And then what felt like death? What killed me on the inside over the last 24 hours? And I just, I just write it down. And so I, t- I, I practice gratitude and thanksgiving. And then I genuinely evaluate, like, whoa, that, that caused anxiety, that caused stress, that was painful, that, I don't know what was going on there. And then the last question is, what does God want me to do with it? Could I have done anything differently? The prayer of examine is allowing me to do that interior examination. So that's a tool for you if it's helpful. Number three, to make requests, to talk through things with Jesus, right? Like, like a friend that's with you, not like a to-do list of, hey, Jesus, here's all my things. Thanks, see you later. But if he's actually there, then talk, like, talk through it with him. Here's what I'm feeling. What should I do with it? Here's how they made me feel. What should I do with it? And lastly, Oh, it's not lastly. <laughs> Second to lastly. To practice thanksgiving. Right? Again, again if, if, if we're going to let anxiety serve as a signal reminding us to pray, then these are the things that we practice this week. 
to take a moment and fill our uh, journal or, or a note or a moment at a lunch break of practicing Thanksgiving. And then lastly, to intentionally turn our thoughts around. What is it that you're using to replace the thoughts that you have? That's one of the, one of, one of the beautiful things that Scripture serves as for you and I that you and I can allow scripture to reorient our mind. If, if I tell you, don't think about elephants with pink toenails, red toenails, right? All you can do is think about elephants with red toenails. You can't not think a thought by trying not to think that thought. You have to replace that thought with something different. Scripture serves as a place where we take the thoughts that are bombarding us and we replace them. And so, so listen, don't get, don't get bogged down like I got to read all of Matthew this week in order to know God's heart and mind for, for, for my life. Like maybe I just open up the scriptures and read three verses and I allow that to begin to form my mind and I can call on that when anxiety shows up. Listen, this is huge. This is a huge conversation. My goal is not to serve, it's like just solve anxiety for you today. It's to point you to the one that can to point you to the one that can meet you in the middle of that, to where you can become a non-anxious presence in the world around you. So let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that Jesus has made a way not only for us to be forgiven and made new, but to know you, to be saved, to be set free, and to be formed into your image. Jesus, all of us are struggling with anxiety today. Some of it's present right now, over our hearts and our minds. We feel it in our back or the back of our head. Some of us, we're ignoring it and it's going to show up tomorrow when we go to work. Some of us, we're going home to it. Some of us, it's been following us since we've been kids. The spaces that, that maybe we've not even touched, we've been unfamiliar with. And Jesus, we just need your help. And we hear your call. Why are you afraid? Help us to know. Help us to identify. Help us to do the interior work. But then also, Jesus, we, we hear your call. Here I am. Don't be afraid. Jesus, could we learn to trust you, to lean into you, to ask you for help, to take all of the things that are causing anxiety and to talk to you about them before we try to solve them, which we're, before we try to make them go away, before we try to do it in our own effort, will we just take them to you? Jesus, here are my anxieties, my stress, my worry, my fear. And Jesus, would you reshape our minds and our hearts where we become people that are more like you? That when anxiety shows up and that signal goes off, our default is not to respond in our own strength or to freak out in fear, but to turn it over to you in prayer and invite you into the situation. Jesus, get in the boat with us in that moment. So wherever we are today, God, I pray that you meet us in that place and you help us to respond appropriately. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.